Are you working? What kind of work do you do? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Third and Forever with Tyler Haskins. I'm your host with the most, Tyler Haskins, and we got some video today. Uh, we are live with some actual video feeds. So uh, looking in to the, the beautiful homes of myself and my guest, uh, Jack McKessie from the Draft Network. Jack, what's going on today, man? Uh, talk to me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you doing? Good, Tyler. Uh, first off, I just want to thank you for having me on your show. Um, it's a big honor for me, and I really appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm Jack McKessie. Uh, I'm a staff writer for the Draft Network. also help out with a little bit of social media, make some content for TikTok and Twitter and um, those platforms. Uh, I recently graduated from Northwestern, or I guess it's not too recent anymore. I, I graduated back in 2021, um, and this is my first job out of college working for the Draft Network. And, uh, yeah, just here to talk about some some football and some baseball and sports with uh with tyler haskins uh, you, you corrected yourself you're an old man now that's that's what you're saying yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> that's awesome well, for those of you who don't know um, i did my journalism residency through medill uh this past quarter with the draft network so i had the privilege of you know working with jack and uh writing articles alongside him writing and developing scouting reports on a lot of uh nfl prospects we're coming out of college ball this year and uh, you know it's a great opportunity to really see the scouting world uh, to be able to be exposed to that because I have a lot of interest, you know, in the front office and, you know, sports profession, profession business, that type field myself. So uh, that was a great opportunity. Uh, I mean, Jack, we can kick it off and get into it, man, because we definitely, we got some insight on some things that other people, you know, weren't fortunate enough to have the opportunity with. And that was to go to certain events that, you know, you, you hear a lot and you see a lot live and get like all the access that a lot of people ain't getting. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's the scouting combine down in Indianapolis. Um, I went on that this this year with you. Uh, that was my first time. That was your second time, I believe. So, talk to me a little bit about you know the experience that it's been for you and your two times going down to Indy, um, and how was it a little bit different this time? You know, when you went. Yeah, so it's a obviously a very interesting experience. You get um, more contact with the players than obviously most people do uh, going down to Indianapolis and, and talking to them at those podiums at the combine. Um, this was my second time around. This was the first time I think, I think ever that they've allowed media inside the stadium for the testing portion of it, um, which I thought was a really interesting, uh, thing to be able to see in person, you know, like watching the forties, uh, obviously in the, and the bird and the broad jump, but also watching the positional drills in person kind of gave me a different insight, I guess, or a different perspective on, uh, how these drills go for players. Um, so I thought I thought that was a really interesting experience this year as opposed to last year. But you know, as you said, it's it's you get contact with players that, that most people don't, and so you learn more about these players as people um, at the podiums, and and you learn kind of what kind of athlete they are on the field. Uh, so I guess I'll kick it back to you, Tyler. If you had to point to a few guys that stood out to you at the combine this this time, this was your first combine. Who would you point to as as being the biggest standouts? Man, I've been active battle on Twitter since I left Indianapolis, man. A Rich, okay, Anthony Richardson, quarterback out of Florida, man. I mean, he he's an athletic freak. He's he's like Cam Newton on steroids, like times ten. You know, I mean, to weigh in at the the weight that he did, I want to say he came in at two forty four, mm-hmm. uh, something like that, around the, that. I think it was two forty four. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, and then he he went out and ran a, a four four something in the forty, which officially may have dropped it down a little bit. 
Um, I mean, the broad, the vertical, uh, when he threw, I mean, the deep balls, it was just effortless, you know, to see this guy sling it 60 plus yards down the field. I love Anthony Richardson because he's got all the things that you can't teach, man. He's got the size, the explosiveness, the athleticism, the speed. He has it all, but there's still so many things he has to work on mechanically, but you can teach that stuff and you can work with him, you know, and I love Love, love the fact that the Panthers traded up to get the number one pick and they got it from the Chicago Bears because I really am on the, the A-Rich to Carolina train. I really am because I like the fact that Frank Reich is the new head coach there in Carolina, and I think that he's obviously quarterback guru type guy who can work with Richardson and work on those mechanics, his footwork, uh, his throwing motion, you know, going through his reads and progressions and everything. I think he's the right guy to be able to groom him. Um, I think he's he's such a raw talent, man, that, you know, everyone's got to keep their eyes on. Of course, the hype is around, you know, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. Saw those guys as well and was really impressed with them. Um, you know, it was really cool to see Stroud and Richardson in a group together throwing because you could, you could tell they were, like, feeding off each other. And it was like, For sure. hey, Rich, you know, he, he bombed that one, like, 70 yards. All right, here goes C.J. Like, he going to give you one, too, you know. So it was, it was cool to see those two guys feed off each other. Um, and... I'm biased, obviously. I'm sure you are too. But to, to see the cats, man, to see the Northwestern guys down there lighting it up and doing well, um, Aditano, Adabuare, freak, freaking nature, man. I mean, the the size that this guy is and the way that he was moving around the forty, um, you know how he looked in drills. Uh, Cameron Mitchell, cornerback out of Northwestern, man, he was he was smooth through all his drills. Did really well throughout the day. Ran well. Um, you know, Evan Hole, uh, Peter Skaronski, all of those guys. You know, so really impressed to see. You know, my former teammates, uh, Northwestern guys, as well as some of those quarterbacks, uh, there, there was a lot of guys that showed out. Uh, who, who you got in your mind that really stood out to you? Yeah, I think a uh, big one for me is Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Um, obviously, didn't run the 40 uh, in Indianapolis, although he did run it uh, at his pro day a few days ago now. Um, but just kind of the, the quickness and the smoothness he showed during the receiver drills, um, he just he's one of the most natural talents I think that I've seen at, at receiver. Um, I think back to I saw an interview with him, Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson and the interviewer asked like who out of the three of you who is the best athlete and they all were like JSN and you know you can kind of see it on the field during uh, during the combine and obviously he put up those ridiculous three cone and short short shuttle numbers. Uh, so that's just kind of a view of the, the elite quickness that he has, even if it's not necessarily converted into long speed, just kind of the elusiveness that he has on every level of the field is really impressive. And it showed up in his testing numbers. Um, and then the other guy that I really have liked for a while since seeing him at the senior bowl is uh, Julius Brents, the cornerback from Kansas mm. state. That, yeah. dude is, that dude is freaky. Like you talk <laughs> about like he's, I think a six foot three cornerback, he has 34 inch arms and he can still run like, Four or five speed. Uh, he has incredible explosiveness. I think he had a 41 or 40 and a half inch vert. Um, crazy broad jump. Like, it, he it just like the numbers were literally off the charts with Julius Prince. And then obviously watching him at the Senior Bowl, I, I have seen him play on the field and get those one on one reps and test him against some of the best prospects in college football this past year. And he fully excelled. He was able to lock down every guy from the outside or even play in the slot and just completely dominate the one-on-one -on -one drills down there. So to see him come to the combine and just completely blow it out of the water was really cool. How much of, like, the real deal is Julius Brents, okay? Because 
a lot of this is recency bias. Some people will call. I'm I'm real on on Julius Brents. I'm high on him myself. Um, but some would say it's recency bias because of like people like yourself, what they saw at Mobile last month um, at the Senior Bowl, and what they saw this past month here at uh, the the Scouting Combine as well. The way he ran, the way he worked out, and again the size that he did it out. Like you're talking six three, like two oh four, and still be able to move the way he did. You know, then, you know, people say, oh, well, look at the, the, the Kansas State corners in the Big 12 game. Like they were getting, you know, schooled by by Quentin Johnston and stuff like that. And like to see this guy to be able to cover Big 12 receivers, like there's no defense in the Big 12. It doesn't exist. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is air raid every single offense in the conference, you know. So, I mean, this guy has has his work cut out for him and he's going to be tested weekend after weekend. So he's proved that he's shown it. Like how real is Juju Brents, man? I mean, I, I think I'm with you. I think he's he's very real. I mean, people could talk about that Big 12 game, and um, I think if you just turn on the film, you can see that Julius Brents was not one of the guys that were getting burned. You know, he kind of shut down Quentin Johnston on a few plays, played up uh, press against him, and forced him to, to make a good release off the line of scrimmage. And I think he did a pretty good job of shutting down QJ and the, and the reps that they were lined up across from each other. And if you look even further back, like, I guess I'll just say turn on the film with Julius Prince. Like, he, he backs up every part of this pre-draft process on film, and he's only continuing to do it with the Senior Bowl and the Combine and everything. Most definitely. I agree, too, with JSN height, too, because he didn't need to run the 40, man. Like, I, I wasn't, you know, really tripping about the fact that he didn't run and said he wasn't going to early on. He didn't have to, like, through the gauntlet and through all the different just routes on air and everything that he did, uh, you know, the specific receiver drills. He was smooth, fluid to the point where I'm like, that's my wide receiver one, man. Like, Absolutely. I, and I was really serious about that after seeing him work out a lot of the combine because, you know, all the hype is around Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnston, um, you know, and JSN. I think pe- most people have them as, like, their top three receivers coming out. Uh, Addison didn't really have the day that, you know, I think we all expected from him or that I think he wanted to himself. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he said that he had a bit of a hamstring injury or some type of issue going on. But uh, for, for him to run four or five, um, you know, in that range, I think a lot of people expect that to be faster. You know, uh, QJ didn't run, um, but, you know, he was he's still QJ, you know, and obviously size that he has is something you can't teach. I think with, with, with QJ, I think there's just some things that I feel like as a bigger receiver, he should be able to do, which I don't think he always does. And when you turn on the film, it's like you should be bodying some of these these little smaller corners. You know, mm-hmm. you should be like going up and consistently making that catch on the fade but not all the time do i see that i guess so for me like when i saw jsn and everybody is gonna say the guy had five catches for like 43 yards or something this year because he never played and the only hype he has is the rose bowl where he went over you know 300 something yards well the the dude went over 300 something yards. <laughs> right. I have right. anything else to say about that so i mean for me after indy like jsn bumped up to my wide receiver one so for sure. I, I 100% agree. I think going in, I, I was very high on Quentin Johnston. Um, I think we, we talked about it on the write-up, like who are our top wide receivers. Um, and I really liked QJ just because of, you know, that size. And I thought that he would go out there and prove the athleticism that he had and kind of blow people away. He didn't end up running. Um, and, you know, like looking back and, and watching more of his film, there are stretches where he can just disappear for you know, big parts of a game. And that's not what you're looking for in a guy that's mm-hmm. supposed to be a wide receiver one, you know, like, like you said, he's supposed to be able to dominate whoever he's lined up against and win some of those contested catch situations and win downfield by 
you know, beating those smaller corners or like outrunning or evading the, the, the taller guys. But I, I think JSN has all the tools that you would look for in a wide receiver one. You know, he, but he might not have that speed, but he has literally everything else. And I think that's something that people sleep on a little bit. People like seeing that speed. That's how John Ross got drafted in the top mm-hmm. five or top 10, whatever it was. Of course. Um, and, and how Tyquan Thornton was a second round pick last year. I, I just think you, you look at all the tools JSN has. Yes, he doesn't have elite, elite speed, but he has great tools and everything else. For sure. And most definitely, I mean, the thing about Indy, too, as a whole, man, like, that's just a, a hangout spot. And, you know, I, I think you knew that already, and I definitely learned that being my first time down there. But that's just a, a spot for people to kick it and catch up and just, you know, just talk, you know, mm-hmm. just like whisper and go back and forth. People playing telephone, just talking about all the drama and news. But, I mean, you, you see people that you'll see on TV between head coaches and GMs and, you know, high-profile people and organizations for the NFL. Um, but, you know, you'll see the the off off hours, out of, out of hours, after hours uh, version of them, if you will. Um, you know, and it's, it's a good time to, like, really see these people uh, for who they really are and stuff uh, away from, like, the camera. Um, but also, like, you hear a lot of information, too, you know, and, like, I mean, I'm not going to expose, you know, a whole bunch of people or nothing, but like, you know, there are multiple times we're down there and it's like, you know, hey, sources said this, you know, and it's like you get that inside information that, you know, no one else is really getting. So it's it's a huge benefit there and definitely something to to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one the one thing I, I can point to is, you know, the, the Jalen Carter news. I remember it happening uh, or I remember it starting to come out. And the rumors spreading at the combine before it was even available to the public information. Um, so I, I it, it is very interesting to have that kind of insight and kind of see where things are headed before things really come out. I, I talked to a few people that said, you know, I'm hearing that the Aaron Rodgers stuff is pretty much resolved at this point, or that the Packers already pretty much know that they're not going to play with him. And you know, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, it it comes out that he fully intended to play for the Jets. So it is really interesting getting those little bits and things from everyone that are at the combine. And I remember my first combine, I was very starstruck at how many of the people that I've been watching on TV every day were just there. You know, like Ian Rappaport was just right in front of me. Um, right, right. And like Stacey Dales was next to me asking questions in the scrum. So it was, it was a really interesting and, and fun experience. Uh, it's, it's, it's always very unique. Yeah, Jalen Carter stuff was wild, man. Because I, I think both of us were like headed down to the media room, getting ready to like go hear from him and like some other guys in his group, and then like whoever did what they did, like knew exactly what they were doing because they did it at the exact time to do fifteen minutes exactly before he went up to the podium yep. to release that there was a an arrest warrant out for that you know that horrible tragic accident that happened following their parade and their championship uh, down in Athens, but you know it's. It's something that, like you just said, I think it's a good segue to just talking to some free agency here about a lot of the deals and a lot of the needs for teams that you hear about just kind of talking to or at least listening from in the public, the public eye when you're talking about the media scrums and hearing the press conferences from like GMs and head coaches. But then like, you know, you may be just kind of out on the street or like, you know, out on the town at night and like you're you're hearing from other people who are just trying to have a good time as well, but they're still like executives and they still know a lot of stuff that's going on. And, you know, they're, they're telling you, Hey, you know, we're thinking about moving this guy. Like, I really like this guy. This guy's got some characters. We, we might stay away from him, you know? So right. it's, it's a lot of that stuff that you hear 
Um, and it's interesting, like you said, with the whole Aaron Rodgers stuff to know that this was being talked about, you know, late February, early March down in Indy and like weeks later, okay, it's happened. Um, mm-hmm. you know, to talk about some of that free agency stuff, what are some of like the biggest moves and deals that have gone on so far that I guess have surprised you in a way? Man, I think, I guess a big one that that's kind of obvious and I'll start out with it is just how many guys the Eagles were able to bring back. You know, like they mm-hmm. obviously Jason Kelsey has returned, um, isn't isn't retiring after last year. They just brought back Lane Johnson today. They brought back Darius Slay. They brought back James Bradbury. Or, did they bring back Slay? Yeah, they did. So yeah, yeah. they they came out and said they were like releasing them. They were cutting them, and then they ended up giving a two year extension, like right. two days later. Right. It, like just every every guy that they seem to be on the verge of of you know losing a bunch of guys in free agency, and then they just pretty much brought everyone back except. Uh, CJ Gardner Johnson is the only one that really comes to mind. It's like the big name that they lost, or Miles Sanders too. Um, but everyone the Eagles brought back, I thought was really impressive. And then a huge move across on the West Coast from a former Eagles player, I guess. So I guess they didn't only lose uh, CJ Gardner Johnson. Was Javon Hargrave to the mm-hmm. San Francisco 49ers. That is a yep. crazy move for a defense that was already literally the best one in football last year, and they just added one of the best inter- interior defensive linemen in football to that defensive line. Right. I think with the Niners, man, like they've been contenders for like however many of the past recent years, like in the Super Bowl, in the NFC Championship, in the NFC Championship again, in the in the divisional round, like they're always around. And I think Kyle Shanahan's offense and all the weapons he's put together and all the things that he can do with that offense is going to keep them alive. Like I tell anybody, the quarterback job of the San Francisco 49ers is the easiest job in America. It's so easy. <laughs> In, in the entire country, okay? it's it's the Shanahan system. You just plug them in, and they could, and as long as they stay within the system, they can figure it out. And the defense is going to be great on the other side, right? And, and you got the guy in the headset telling you, "Okay, Debo's open right here." You know what? Pitch, <laughs> right. pitch it to Christian. All right, I you can deep down down the field. <laughs> like it's it's a cheat code, man. You know, yeah. and, and like Brock Party, like all credit to him. Hope he gets better and everything. But like, dude, this was like foolproof for him. <laughs> I mean, it was easy. Right. That's why I think, too, like, on that note, I think the Sam Darnold signing by the 49ers is low-key a very good move for both him and the team because they're going into next year. Trey Lance is coming off of that uh, that ankle injury. Um, Brock Purdy has that elbow injury that we don't know if he's going to be ready for the season. The 49ers are always going to need depth because they have the worst injury bug I think I've ever seen, uh, especially at the quarterback position. Oh, yeah. So, like, Sam Darnold can play in a system like that, and he has, you know... Played in California, obviously, was a USC guy. But, like, I, I think that's a really good move for Sam Darnold to kind of reinvent his image, play in the Kyle Shanahan system, and kind of take it easy. Like we said, just kind of plug him in and he can play, and he'll, he'll be able to perform well for them for however many starts they need before one or both of their, their normal quarterbacks or starting quarterbacks are healthy. Most definitely. That, that C.J. Gardner-Johnson stuff, man, I mean, he was, like, he was going back and forth on Twitter with, I think, like, the organization as well as some of the fans as well. Mm, yeah. um, he, like, I want to say he, he really weighed this thing out and he kind of did himself a disservice by doing it because he ended up inking, like, a one-year, maybe worth, like, $8 million deal, something around that range with the Detroit Lions. Uh, he definitely could have got a lot more money than that, man. I mean, like, I think he, he sit there and screwed himself with, you know, waiting the way he did and, you know, kind of going on Twitter and voicing a lot of his stuff. Um, but that doesn't mean that he didn't just go to a contender because 
Ladies and gentlemen, the Detroit Lions are a contender, okay? And you add him to a defensive backfield that already has Kirby Joseph, who has individually picked off Aaron Rodgers three separate occasions, I, I believe, um, as well as, you know, having a corner in Jeff Okuda. And then you have two first-round picks to be able to go get another corner, which I believe they will do, and go get you one of either Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois or maybe it's Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon and go put him on the other side and go go ahead and load up this defensive backfield. Um, the Lions are for real, man, and I think a lot of their free agency moves, they've been doing things to just really build the roster and just improve overall. And that's saying a lot for a team who was the best team to not make the playoffs last year, right? Like, they were – they really – Kind of got screwed in that last week. It was out of their control when Seattle won and beat uh, the Rams early on in that evening uh, in week 18. But to go out later that night and beat the Packers in Green Bay on Sunday night football with nothing to play for, dude, like, and Dan Campbell, I love what he's done with that team and, and with that, that organization, man. He's, he's going to be coach of the year, I believe. As long as they make the playoffs and they go do what they're supposed to do next year, I think he's coach of the year. For sure, I, I like. I was just thinking. I was going to shout him out if if you didn't, because you look at you know we we give a lot of credit to Brian Dable and what he did with the Giants roster this past year, and Doug Peterson and how he's able to help Trevor Lawrence take a step forward in his development and 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 build that roster, turn it from a first overall pick team to you know flip it around and and be a playoff team the next year. People sleep on Dan Campbell and how much he's done for the Lions. You know, like he came in. Not many people expected him to stick around that long. He was kind of the rah rah guy and. You know, maybe a, a, kind of a player's coach, but not necessarily a guy that you would plan on sticking around long term. But you look at how the Lions have done the past few years and the, the wins he's been able to pull out of this team, even when the roster wasn't as good as it is now as it's continuing to develop. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they, it felt like, yeah, they lost a lot of their games, but it was always one score. Uh, even when they seemed like they were out of it, and there was nothing to play for except the first or second overall pick. They were still competing and going out there to win games. And you look at how that's translated to, you know, now they have a little bit more talent. They got Aiden Hutchinson with the second overall pick last year. Yep. And they kind of took a similar trajectory to what Doug Peterson did with the Jaguars. The second overall pick to literally a, a Seahawks win away from the playoffs. Yeah. Right? So I, I think Dan Campbell deserves a ton of credit. And and obviously the front office and what they're doing there with um, building up the secondary in this offseason. And they're going to, as you said, work in the draft to get more pieces. I think it's a really impressive job all around. I agree, man. I, I look out for the for the Lions, man, because I think the NFC North next year comes down to them and probably the Vikings. I mean, they're you know the defending champions, obviously, but I think that's the Lions' division next year for sure. Um, let's get to this quarterback market here real quick, man. I mean, this is obviously the most popular topic of, of free agency, but I mean, let me let me go ahead and give my, myself a pat on the back real quick and give myself my props and credit because uh, I called Jimmy G from the start. Yeah, he did. Okay. I thought did. you can go look at the tweets. I'll pull the tweets myself. Okay, Jack knows this. I've been known this that he was going to the Raiders. It made the most sense, man. I mean, you go and you hop in Josh McDaniels' offense that you already know that you're familiar with. I don't think that Josh really wanted to work with a younger quarterback. Like there was obviously the, the consideration of taking a quarterback at number seven or even trading up for the number one pick. But I think it fit a lot better for them to go and get a veteran who's already, let's say quote-unquote proven, if you will, with Jimmy G. I mean, he played in the Super Bowl, I'll give him that. But a veteran quarterback who's been around already and, you know, knows a, a familiar offense with McDaniel. So I thought that fit well. 
Um, but, you know, talk to me about some of those other quarterback moves that have, have happened already, some that, you know, possibly may happen soon. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, first on the on the Raiders and Jimmy G thing, I completely agree with everything you said for that. Like, we talked about how the 49ers are a system, and Kyle Shanahan kind of brought up the most in Jimmy G. I think Jimmy Garoppolo has that background playing with Josh McDaniels and in that system as well. And Josh McDaniels has a system that works when you have a quarterback that fits within it. And Jimmy Garoppolo obviously has in the past. They also brought in Jacoby Myers, uh, you know, kind of familiar Patriots weapon for Josh McDaniels. He's very um, familiar with, with Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> that he, sure that <laughs> he sure is. He sure is. He'll probably have to go to therapy to, to get over some of that PTSD <laughs> uh, from, from that last play. But, um, yeah, so I think I think that Jimmy G moved to, to um, Las Vegas is great. I also want to point out to the Geno Smith signing, staying in Seattle, I think is a very good – I mean – First of all, hats off to Geno Smith because, like, no one expected this to happen after last year. No. No, Barely anyone expected him to even win that starting job going into 2022. You know, Drew Locke came over in that Russell Wilson trade, and people just kind of assumed that he would be the starting quarterback. I remember if you booted up Madden, the default QB1 for the the Seahawks, I think, this past (laughs) year was Drew Locke and not Geno Smith. And, you know, there was that first game. It was a great story. He had something to play for. And so it kind of, you know, who knew what was going to happen the rest of the year? What did he do? He went out and just balled out the rest of the year and earned himself a nice new contract. And I think the biggest contract of his career at this point, he's, you know, 33 years old at this point. Um, I think I think it's a great move for Gino. I think he's going to continue to help the Seahawks and, and return to playoff contention. You know, they have they have great draft capital thanks to having the Broncos pick, and, mm-hmm. and they're going to be able to, to make some big moves on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball to kind of stay in that playoff window with, with Gino at quarterback. So I think that was a big move. Um, that's really stood out to me. Yeah, they were stupid if they didn't bring Gino back, man. I mean, for what he did, like, this, this was a guy who, like, who literally, you remember when Gino got his jaw broken? Because uh, yeah. I don't even remember how that started, but the D lineman just, like, clocked him in the mouth, broke his jaw, and it's like, and he was he was going to be a starter. He was poised to be the starter that year. I believe it happened during training camp, and it just, like, took away all his opportunity. And I think next thing you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick ended up being the starter, like, either a year or two or that year down the road, whatever. And Gino just never got opportunity, you know? Yeah. So for this to come in like 2022 and for him to be getting paid in 2023, like hats off to him. Like that's, that's the comeback player of the year and, and well-deserved. Um, you know, I think with this, this Derek Carr move, man, I thought that, I thought that Aaron Rodgers would be the first quarterback domino to fall. I really did. I thought it would go Rodgers, Carr, and then Garoppolo. Um, and Rodgers just, took long because he just likes to make everybody wait and gain all the attention in America and put it on himself. But uh, anyway, with Carr, I think for him to go to the Saints uh, is a good move for the Saints. And I think they already jump into the favorites for the NFC South with that move because I, I released the article early on when I was writing for, for TDN about quarterback away teams. I'm here to say, because I know some people call me out on Twitter for it, that I missed the team, and I, I'm taking responsibility. I missed out on the Saints because they're quarterback away, man. You know, they've, they've done a lot to build their defense up, um, and I think for them to still finish, um, I want to say 7-10 and 10 this past year um, for, you know, the season that they had and going through the quarterbacks the way they did with Jameis, Dalton, and, you know, rolling through with Taysom Hill and those packages, um, they're going to be good next year, you know, like – Barring some of that stuff with Alvin Kamara and, you know, figuring that out with him. Of course, he's an amazing offensive weapon. 
And I also uh, wouldn't be surprised if they make a run for, for John Muir Gibbs, the running back out of Alabama, to just come and be an offensive weapon to, you know, join in and, and add into that offense to be a threat. But, I mean, you look at the rest of that offense, like, they're going to bring Michael Thomas back. Like, I believe they already have. He, he's going to come back from his injury. Um, and he's he's going to play, hopefully. I mean, I don't know if, if that's already set in stone, but he's going to play. And you've got, um, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, to Tariq, Tariq Rashid? Rashid Shaheed. Rashid Shaheed. I know it was it was heed heed something. <laughs> Rashid Shaheed and Chris Olave, the, the rookie dynamic duo down there. Yeah, he is. He is, and he's a deep threat as well. You know, and I, I like a lot of those uh, those threats that they got on offense. I think the Derek Carr move to kind of plug and play in there, and uh, I believe he's familiar with the head coach Dennis Allen as well. You know, from his time with the Raiders, so I think it's a good move to go ahead and put them in and set them up for contention. I actually struggle with the Derek Carr move a little bit, so I'm going to push back and, okay. and say that I, I'm I'm not nearly as as certain of of Derek Carr as as I am or as you are, I think. And there there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, Derek Carr, like if you look back through his career, some of his worst seasons were when he's in the first season of a new system. So when when John Gruden first came back to the Raiders, that first season I think the Raiders went four and twelve, and Carr had I think the worst year of his career to that point. Um, after his first few years with Jack Del Rio as head coach there, uh, he started getting better. Every year, progressively better. They made the playoffs in, in 21. Uh, and then, you know, 22, they brought in Devontae Adams. Josh McDaniels came in, came in as the new head coach, you know, but a new system. What happened? Derek Carr struggled again. And, and I think what I worry about is I like Derek Carr. I think he's a good quarterback. I worry that he's going to struggle again in this new system. They have all these young pieces that they can start to build a core around. And you just brought in a veteran quarterback rather than, you know, waiting or like having the, they don't even have a first round pick or they didn't have a first round pick to, to take a quarterback um, this year or uh, last year they were, they were getting other weapons. But I'm kind of in the mindset that I'm worried that they're turning into the Indianapolis Colts and that they keep signing mm-hmm. these veteran guys, Andy Dalton, you know, they had, they had Trevor Simeon there for a while, Jameis Winston. In the post-Drew Brees era, they, they need to get a young quarterback that they can develop and build in the system with, you know, the strong weapons that they would have around them. Like you mentioned, like Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid, Alvin Kamara. This is a great group of weapons that you have on offense. And I think this is a, a, a good opportunity, or it would have been a good opportunity, to draft a younger quarterback. Obviously, they're, they're not in a position to do so this year. But I don't know that bringing in the veteran, and especially one like Carr, is going to necessarily be the best move for them. But... We'll see, you know, like he'll, he'll get an opportunity to play inside some more. And he, he has proven that he can play in, in that uh, situation in, in Vegas. And if the, if the system transition is more seamless than the past ones, I think you're right. I think the Saints can easily contend in the NFC South, which is, uh, I think, one of the weaker divisions, if not the weakest division in football right now. I will say I'm not a fan of like system quarterbacks who have to just like you know be in like the right thing. Like I, I'd like obviously like the system has a, a big deal to do with it. But I'd like to have my quarterback be able to just adapt well and be able to you know adapt to anything pretty much. So yeah. we'll see if that ends up being an asset or a liability for the for the Saints. Um, but to sum this up, the biggest news, man. Let, let's talk about this Aaron Rodgers stuff because the Jets are ready. They are ready, and that I, I fully committed to them. They were the number one quarterback away team that I put down because of what they have on offense already, 
for the year that Garrett Wilson had with Zach, what's his name? Because I don't even know his, his name anymore. He's he's been run out of New York, so we're not even going to talk about him. Um, <laughs> but for the year that he had with a quarterback like that, and then even going back and forth between him and Mike White, um, Mike Garrett Wilson, the truth. He is the truth, man. You know, and then you got Brees Hall in the backfield. Unfortunately, like he he tore his ACL and couldn't finish the season. But when he comes back, I still believe that he's going to be a legitimate threat out the backfield. Uh, you pair him with Michael Carter, who's still still there as well. Um, and then you look at some of the offensive weapons that they have and that they brought in recently. They traded Elijah Moore to Cleveland. They brought in Miko Hardman, which just puts even more speed on that offense. And they're looking to try and bring OBJ as well. Okay, I, I think that's some legitimate stuff that's going to happen. Not to mention they already took Alan Lazard and brought him over from Green Bay as well. So I mean. They're, they're going all in, and I, mean, I can't forget to mention the defense. I mean, obviously, defensive rookie of the year is on one side of the ball in Sauce Gardner, and the offensive rookie of the year is on the other one and in Garrett Wilson. You know, you got the corners, you got the D-line, guys like Quentin Williams, you know, like DJ Reed is opposite, um, you know, uh, Sauce Gardner at the, at the corner position. These guys are ready to go, and they got so much young and hungry talent that, I mean, I want to say at, at one point they were, they were in playoff position. Like, they were in playoff position for a while, too. You know, and they ended up losing like however many straight in the second half of the season. Um, but a lot of that was attributed to just bad quarterback play. You know, I mean, they, they beat the Bills. They, they split with the Bills this year. You know, and I mean, these these guys are ready to go. And you insert Aaron Rodgers into that, you know, a proven quarterback, multi, uh, you know, MVP quarterback. It's It's got to be Super Bowl or bust, especially for what you're going to give up to get him. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think the very interesting thing to see is what the Jets are going to end up giving up for Aaron Rodgers in this trade because there are still, like you said, I, I, I agree, I think they are a quarterback away, but there are still some big pieces on the roster that need to be figured out, particularly on the offensive line. You know, Elijah Vera Tucker has been the MVP of that offensive line since he was drafted, uh, but outside of him, Mekhi Becton could come back healthy and, and, and contribute, but the rest of that, that offensive line pretty much needs a full overhaul. And... Um, Obviously, like if they have that first round pick, depending on how this deal goes for Rodgers, I don't know if they're going to have it. But if if they if they do, offensive tackle is going to be a big one. I think as long as they can get the offensive line figured out a little bit more, uh, they they can really succeed with with Aaron Rodgers in there. Like you said, all of the weapons they have on offense, all the weapons they have on defense, it's a super super stacked roster that's kind of slept on because of uh, you know how bad the quarterback play was, like you said. But once they get Aaron Rodgers in that building. With all those weapons, yeah, yeah. I AFC East is tough, but I think the Jets have a real shot of coming out there, coming out of there as as division winners, if not at least a wild card team. Let me ask you this last thing. I'm glad you mentioned the AFC East because I'm gonna ask this question as far as divisions and who's the best division right now in the league. Because last off season, after all the moves that were made, everyone's like the AFC West is the best because the Chargers made moves, and of course the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. The Raiders brought in Devontae Adams. The Broncos brought in Russell Wilson. And a lot of that stuff ended up flopping, you know. So is the hype real for the AFC East this year? Because right now, if this Aaron Rodgers thing goes through, then the Jets are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Um, The Miami Dolphins, who were a playoff team last year, and honestly, they lost by three points with the third-string quarterback in to the number two-seeded Buffalo Bills. They have upgraded on defense by putting Jalen Ramsey – opposite uh, Xavier Howard, who also had Javon Holland in the backfield at safety. Um, Tua Tungvaloa, who 
prayerfully he's good to go health wise. You know, he can play. Um, and then uh, a Lamborghini and a Ferrari on either side with Taylor Waddle and Tyree Hill. I mean, like they're they're legitimate contenders as well. And I think the Ramsey move put them in Super Bowl contention too to bolster that defense a little bit. Of course, the Bills are still in it as well. They've been doing some moves in the running back room because they need to commit to running the damn ball um, and get better at that. But to still have Diggs, to still have a Josh Allen, uh, to still have a legitimate defense, and they're even talking about bringing in DeAndre Hopkins now from from Arizona. So. I look at three teams here, and I wouldn't even I wouldn't even sleep on the Patriots because the Patriots were close to making the playoffs last year too, and they were the second best team to not make the playoffs behind the Lions, in my opinion, last year. So, is this the best division in football for twenty twenty three? It's definitely up there. I mean, like all those moves that you said, and I think as uh, you know, we look at the top three teams in that division, and with Aaron Rodgers on the Jets, it suddenly doesn't include the Patriots, which is I think. A very weird thing to say, but I think you even look at the Patriots, and they kind of had a similar issue in what the Jets had with their lack of good quarterback play, and that's mm-hmm. lack of good offensive coordinator play because they didn't really have a guy that was primed or, or had the tools to build a good offense around Mac Jones and the weapons that they had there. You know, they literally had a former defensive coordinator running the offense and Matt Patricia, and it obviously did not work. Mac Jones got very frustrated with Patricia, with Belichick, with pretty much the whole Patriots organization. Uh, so I think bringing Bill O'Brien honestly could be a big move for, for keeping the Patriots afloat in a division that's going to be very, very difficult with, as you said, the Dolphins with Tua, Jalen Waddle, and Tyreek, the Bills with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, the Jets with Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson and, and every weapon there. So I think the Patriots, you know, they might be the weakest team right now, but they still, like you said, could be at least playoff contenders, maybe not necessarily Super Bowl contenders just yet with, you know, three others in their division especially. But I, I think they, they do have the potential to be a playoff contender, and I think that makes AFC East a very strong case for for being the best division in football. And if I if I had to pick a division that wasn't AFC East, I'd probably say the NFC East because of how good that division was last year and kind of all the tools that have been added to all the teams out, out in the NFC East. You know, the, the Cowboys just got Brandon Cooks. Uh, the Eagles brought back pretty much everyone. Uh, I think the Rashad Penny signing for the running backs room is also sneaky good. That was um, good. Yeah. The Giants kept around a lot of their pieces and are bringing in, you know, tight end Darren Waller. Uh, they got wide receiver Paris Campbell. They just brought in um, uh, Jameson Crowder uh, just yesterday. So you know they're they're building up their wide receivers room. They're probably going to retool the offensive line in in uh, the draft. Uh, the Commanders have Sam Howell, who's kind of unproven, but they have a lot of weapons around him, and they have you know, the potential to also be contenders. So I think the two East divisions, if you had to ask me right now, the best divisions in football, those two are, are I think, far and away the best. My DMV people back home have been telling me that once they sell that team, the commander's going to be real. They're going to be the real deal. So as soon as they get Dan Snyder as a better day, then they'll be good to go. Um, but one more, one more topic here, just transition real quick. Opening day is right around the corner. So just want to talk a little bit about the World Baseball Classic that just wrapped up, uh, Team USA, Came very, very close, obviously, uh, losing to Japan in the final. Uh, and Shohei Otani, man, that's that's a bad dude, bro. That is a bad dude to be able to do it on both sides, to sit in the box, to get on the mound, striking out Mike Trout. I mean, man, talk to me a little bit about, about the WBC and everything that you saw from you know, Team USA and, and all the different teams and the stars. Yeah, I, first of all, I think uh, this is an incredible tournament and, and overall just event. Uh, I think... The poll that it had worldwide and in the United States was 
unreal. If you look at like even on social media, if you, if you only use social media analytics to talk about uh, how, how successful this event was, you can just look at the the graphics that teams have put out for or uh, MLB put out or Fox Sports put out for the World Series winning Astros post, and then what they and then the video of uh, Team Japan winning the World Baseball Classic. It's like. 800,000 likes to millions and millions of likes and views and engagement and, and comments and everything for the World Baseball Classic. And I think this was such a fun uh, opportunity for players to represent their country. You know, like, this is kind of the Olympics for baseball. And, and to have some of the biggest players shine on, on a stage in front of everyone and, and millions and millions of eyes watching, specifically Shohei Otani, because, like you said, that man is an unreal athlete. I think he's the greatest baseball player that I've ever seen. Um, Every year, he just proves it more. Uh, you, we have literally a, a reincarnation, a better version of Babe Ruth, who can be one of the best pitchers in the league, be one of the best hitters in the league, and also like be one of the best base runners in the league. So it, it's just the things that Shohei does is unbelievable, and I'm really glad that we were able to see him do it on such a big stage and, and get that dream uh, matchup opportunity of him versus Mike Trout, the two Angels teammates, two of the best players in baseball. I think that was just an incredible opportunity that, that we might never see again, um, depending on what happens with Shohei and the Angels. But I think overall the World Baseball Classic was a huge, huge success this year uh, in terms of growing the game, um, both internationally and, and even nationally, just kind of from all the, the buildup and the hype around you know the different countries and, and guys representing their teams. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I love baseball, and I watch a lot, obviously, when the season gets started up. I don't. I haven't really paid attention a whole lot to the WBC in the past. This was the first year that I did. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was this one of the first years, the first year in a while, that they had games in the United States? I think so. I think. Uh, I think this was the first year in a while that um, the WBC had its knockout stages in the United States. I do believe that we have some of the group, um, the group play in the U.S. every year. Um, although I'm not positive on that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think I remember uh, previous years there were group stage games in the, in the U.S. But um, the knockout stages are sometimes in Japan, uh, yeah, or, or in South America. I, I'm not I'm not totally sure, but this was definitely I think one of the the tournaments that had the most games in um, the U.S. Because I think that helped with the exposure as well. Because For sure. I mean I, I'm familiar with the WBC and like I've heard about it and followed it in the past, but like a lot of times it was because I didn't watch it. It was because games were overseas in like Japan and like they were like on very late at night or early hours in the morning here in the States, you know? So like, it was really hard to follow, but like to put it on a platform here where like it comes on like, you know, eight, seven o'clock at night, you know, on Fox and everyone can watch it nationally. Like, that's, that's like watching the world series, you know, yeah. like, people going to tune in, which they did, you know? So I think that was great for exposure overall. Um, real quick, man, talk to me about Mike Trout's legacy. Cause like, if I'm him, like you can, you can't. That's your boy, man. You you can't go down, go down swinging. You got to at least like ground out, or, like make some contact or something, man. Come on now. I I mean, people are gonna talk about that uh, because, and obviously joke about how Mike Trout, you know, in the playoffs, and and that was like his, the biggest game for Mike Trout in, in his career to this point. Um, Pretty much. <laughs> I I think it's it was an unfortunate way to end the World Baseball Classic for the U.S. Um, just in terms of like, you know, you, you have the best, your best hitter in theory up. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it's as much about Mike Trout's legacy as it is about Shohei Otani's and just how 
ridiculously athletic that guy is. You mm-hmm. look at the pitch sequence that he threw to Mike Trout, and it's like, uh, I think a low slider, and then four straight hundred mile an hour fast, hundred mile an hour plus fastballs, Crazy. including trying to get him on a one hundred two like <laughs> dotted on the corner, and he just missed or overthrew it. And then the slider that he threw on the three two count with with two outs and literally like the 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 World Baseball Classic equivalent of Game Seven of the World Series, and you're up by one in a safe situation on a three two count to literally Mike Trout, one of the greatest hitters in our generation, a dirty dirty. 87-mile-an-hour slider that just yes. cut away from him. <laughs> it was unreal. I, like, I can't put any of the blame on Mike Trout for that because you watch 400-mile-an-hour fastballs from a guy that's also one of the best power hitters in the game, mm-hmm. and then a, a, a dirty, dirty slider that just cut away. It, it, there's nothing you can do. There's just it nothing really you can do. It really ain't. Like Mookie Betts, another great hitter, grounded into a double play one, mm-hmm. one half at before. So it's not as much on Mike Trout, but I, I just think, you know, those two guys, I, I, I really hope the Angels can figure something out or get both of them out of town because they're very special talents, especially Otani. He's just unreal. I can't, I can't say enough about him. Most definitely. Well, folks, that is Jack McKessie from the Draft Network. Uh, Jack, go ahead and tell people where they can find you. I know you're doing stuff on Twitter, TikTok. Go ahead and drop them, them handles, man. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at J.F. McKessie, M-C-K-E-S-S-Y on Twitter. Uh, and then if you go over to my TikTok, uh, I am at Jack McKessie, uh, J-A-C-K-M-C-K-E-S-S-Y. I'm making uh, a bunch of football content over there as well. So be sure to keep, uh, be sure to follow me on both platforms and, and stay updated with all my, my written and video content on both platforms. Tune in to him and check it out. He's doing a lot of great stuff, putting out a lot of great content and insightful knowledge that a lot of people don't have. So uh, keep on checking out Jack's stuff. But, man, I appreciate you joining me on the show. Um, you know, great insight, great information as always, and um, we will talk to you guys next week, and uh, take it easy. This has been Third and Forever, starring Tyler Haskins.